0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Hello, church, I am so grateful you're tuning in today. If you're watching FC for the first time, I would love for you to let me know who you are. Just simply text FC Connect to 97000. And when you do, a link will come to you. Fill out that form and make sure you share any prayer requests that you have. I'd love to pray for you this week and help you in any way we possibly can. Well, today we are starting a new series in the book of Galatians that we're calling Simply Jesus. And let me start today by asking you a question. I wonder, have you ever felt like the gospel was complicated? Have you ever felt like following God was complicated or maybe even being a Christian was complicated? Um, Let me just ask you to throw up a a hand emoji in the chat room, wherever you're watching today, if you've ever felt like the gospel, church, church, following Jesus was a little complicated. I'd love for you to, to just throw that in the chat room. You know, one of the problems that we experience as Christians is that we don't understand or we simply forget how the gospel brings freedom in our life. And instead of enjoying the freedom the gospel offers us, we start adding things to the gospel that we believe is going to help us, but instead it actually creates a bigger burden in our life. And and so in this series, we want to uncover the simplicity of the gospel in the book of Galatians. We're going to talk today about how the gospel of pleasing people brings complications in your life and how Christ frees you. We're going to talk later about how if you are a perfectionist, man, that puts a weight and complication you. On you, and Christ wants to free you as well. And we're going to talk about legalism in the church and a host of other things, and and we're going to discover how God wants to set us free. Now that's why I love the book of Galatians because it was written for people like me, it was written for people like you. And uh, we struggle with these things from time to time. And Paul's message wasn't for the Galatian church to, to just be better Christians. Come on guys, be better Christians. No, it was a message for them to actually return to the truth of the simple gospel and start experiencing the freedom that is found in Christ. If you're taking notes, let's start with this phrase today. What you complicate, the gospel liberates. So often if we're living a life of confusion and complication, trying to live our life for God, if it's complicated, most likely you are the one complicating it because the gospel, in fact, liberates us. And so God's got a solution for you today. And, and he wants to liberate you from pleasing people. He wants to liberate you from perfectionism and legalism. And his answer is simply Jesus. There's nothing else that's required. And and that's why the book of Galatians has been called the Declaration of Independence for Christians. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 1500s said that Galatians was like a wife to him because he studied it for so long. In fact, Luther, uh, his early life was actually spent trying everything he could to please God and to be a good Christian. He, he went into the ministry, he became a monk and uh, he was essentially a perfectionist and he tried everything that he could to be a good Christian. He fasted and read the Bible and he served as much as he could and he was so disciplined to pray and to go to mass. Yet as hard as Luther tried to work for the Lord. He still didn't feel good enough for God uh, to be. He didn't feel good enough to be loved by God. He didn't feel good enough to be accepted by God. And you know what? There's a lot of people I'm sure watching right now that can relate to that. You You don't feel like you're working hard enough or you're not good enough in order to be loved by God or to be accepted by God. But Luther's breakthrough happened when he discovered this. He discovered that Christianity was not about what he had to do for God, it was about what God had already done for him. And he found it by studying the book of Galatians. And and many believe the book of Galatians was actually the catalyst for the reformation of the church. So let's turn to Galatians chapter one, beginning in verse one. Here's how Paul starts off. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, churches is plural because Galatia is like an area. It's a region. And evidently there were several churches in that area. So a few, more than one he's writing to here. And he says, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Now, Paul starts in verse one by defending his ministry, his apostleship. Um, There were evidently some false teachers that were known as Judaizers that came to the churches in Galatia, and they started to undermine Paul's ministry since he wasn't originally one of the 12 disciples, they were saying that, hey, this guy, he's kind of a second rate apostle. He's not really as good as the other ones. You don't have to really listen to him. And they came into the city after Paul had left and they started teaching a different version of the gospel. And it was causing people to really doubt Paul's authority and his teaching and and ultimately the gospel that he preached. And so Paul starts out by defending his uh, ministry. And he says this, my apostleship, my calling Did not come from men, nor did it come through men, but it came through Jesus Christ. He's like, my calling, guys, wasn't given to me by any man. God made me an apostle. Now, the word apostle meant a messenger who was trained and sent by Jesus. And so there were qualifications to be an apostle and, and they, they were that you were appointed by the Lord and you were an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. So today there is no office of the apostle. We don't have that anymore. That has ceased. And, but Paul here is making it clear that he was appointed by the Lord, not man. And later on in chapter one here, he explains his entire story so that the church would be reminded of his experience with the resurrected Jesus. And so he's defending his ministry not so that he could look good, but so that the authority of the gospel message would be upheld. Uh, Because he goes straight into this explanation of what the gospel is. He defends his apostleship. And now in verse four, he dives into what the gospel actually is. If you're taking notes in verse four, underline this, it says, the gospel delivered or rescued you. That means that you and I were dying. We were in a terrible state that required saving. Now, some people view Jesus as just a good teacher. He was just this moral man, and you know, he's a good teacher, so just kind of look at his example, and, and that's how we should live. Uh, but think about this for a minute. Imagine you're walking on the greenbelt today, and yeah, you're socially distancing, but you're outside, you're walking on the greenbelt, and you see a, a small, helpless child drowning in the river beside you. Now, it doesn't help that poor kid to throw a book at him on how to swim. You don't just throw teaching on him. You reach down and you pull him up out of the water. You rescue him. You actually save him. Now think about it. A lot of people view Christianity as a religion that simply follows the teachings of Jesus, but Jesus is way more than a teacher. He rescued me. He delivered me from sin and death and the power of Satan. And in verse four, how does he do this? What does it say? It says that he gave himself for our sins. So this is how he rescued us. This is how he saved us and became our rescuer. Um, that, that means that Jesus paid the price. He, he was a sacrifice for my sin, for your sin, but he didn't just die for sin. The word for here actually means that he died in my place. He was my substitute. He was your substitute. And so he didn't just die so that you could live your best life now, no, 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 no. My sin broke my relationship with God and I couldn't do anything to fix it on my own. God wouldn't accept anything good from me that could repair that relationship. No good deed, no good life. Nothing could restore that broken relationship that I created with God. And and so Jesus's death became the payment to God. He lived a perfect life, the righteous life. He lived a life that I couldn't live so that he could pay the debt that I couldn't pay. And he paid it for me and he paid it for you. Now, why? Why did he do this? Again, verse four says, according to the will of God. Christ dying for sin was according to the will of God. We didn't ask for this rescue. You didn't ask God to send his son, Jesus. We didn't even know we were in trouble, but he did it because of his love, because of his grace. That's why the only one who deserves the glory and honor for our salvation is God alone. If you had anything to do with your rescue, you would have a reason to get some of the glory. I mean, think about it. Even if it was because you cried out to God one day because you understood the gospel. Um, if, if that were true, maybe you would pat yourself on the back and man, that would be my reasoning, my smarts. I, I, was, I was in a place where I could finally understand. And so I understood because I've got a good head on my shoulders and that's why God saved me. No, that's not why God saved you he saved you completely by his grace. But you know, we always want to be the hero of our faith. We want to be the hero for our kids, our business. It's why we love the idea of legalism, because legalism promises us that if we keep all the rules, that God's going to save us. And if we continue to keep all the rules, he's going to keep us saved. It it really puts the ball in our court and and we can control it. But the humbling thing about the gospel is that it says you are not in control. You are in such a hopeless state that you need a rescue that has nothing to do with you at all. And then it says in Jesus, we actually have that forgiveness. You know, maybe today, God will save you. Maybe today you'll embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And at the end of the message, I'm actually gonna give you an opportunity and lead you in that decision today. Well, right after Paul's opening statements in the letter, he gets right into the heart of the issues that the church in Galatia were actually experiencing. So let's go back to Galatians 1, verse six. Paul says, I am astonished As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be a curse. For, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know, have you ever noticed how quickly we forget things? I mean, our, our memories sometimes are, are, are pretty short. We, we forget things. I was talking to a friend the other day who he had his second child and his uh, first child is about three years old. And he was just telling me, he was like, Trent, I forget how to like, you know, take care of babies. I forget how to change a diaper and I forget how small they are and how much stuff they need. And I was like, bro, you know, that's why God gave you a wife. When it comes to babies, you're an idiot. She's a saint, do whatever she says and stay out of her way. Like that's the only advice I can give to you now, but you know, since the coronavirus has, has led us to to stay at home for so long, I I tend to forget kind of what it feels like to be, you know, at church together and shake hands with people and give friends a hug, you know, and I forget what it feels like to preach to people who are actually in the room. I mean, right now it's like me and a couple of camera guys in here, but Now, when this is all over, you're going to walk into the church and you're going to be like, ah, this is what I remember. Like, I I forgot what it felt like to be in a room where thousands of people are singing praise to God. I forgot what it felt like to serve on Sundays to see my friends actually face to face. Um, If you know what I'm talking about, post the thumbs up icon in the chat room so I know you're with me on this. We forget things really, really quickly and and Paul in verse 6 he is shocked that the Galatian uh, believers forgot about the gospel that he preached. He's astonished. He couldn't believe that they had forgotten and and, and have accepted this new teaching from these new teachers. In verse seven, it says that, hey, there are some troublemakers that have come into the church and are distorting the gospel of Christ. And this group of teachers, they were a legalistic group of men called Judaizers, who probably came from Jerusalem and believed that to fully follow Jesus, you needed to make Gentiles become Jews. And they had to follow the Jewish laws as well as have faith in Jesus. Now, just in case you're wondering, if you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile. Just so everybody understands that. The Judaizers were preaching salvation is in Christ. They, they believed he was the Messiah. They believed he rose from the grave. So it sounded like, they were on our team. they just wanted to take it a little bit further they wanted to uh, to, to to give the full gospel they wanted to complete what Paul started. I mean, I could hear him now convincing the the, the the early believers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul's a good guy and all. But but we've been worshiping God for a long time. We're, we're Jewish. In fact, Jesus was Jewish, and, and he even said that he didn't come to abolish the law. So if you want the real gospel, you need to follow these Jewish laws as well. So if you're taking notes, here's what the Judaizers were teaching. They were teaching that salvation comes through Christ and following the Jewish traditions. And Paul says in verse nine, let them be accursed. He actually says it two times, which that emphasis needs to tell us that, hey, you need to pay attention to this. This is important. The word accursed means that anyone who preaches a different gospel will be under the wrath and curse of God. Pretty strong words. Now, that's why we always need to be aware and on guard against false teachers in the church. Um, One of my favorite authors and pastors, John Stott, once said this. He said, the church's great troublemakers are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. You see, these false teachers, they didn't deny the truths of the gospel. They just tried to add to it. That's why it must have been so deceiving for the early Christians. Now listen, Satan is always trying to destroy God's work in your life. He wants to distort God's words. And and, and when you think about the Garden of Eden, even in the very beginning, Satan came up to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say? See, Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life. He wants to divide God's church. And he does that in many, many ways. But the easiest way for him to do it is by perverting the gospel itself. And he's usually gonna do that through leaders in the church. Yes, pastors, but really any leaders in the church can be used by the enemy. And a leader is anybody who has influence in the church. So Satan could use small group leaders or deacons or anybody at all in the church that has influence and that that other people listen to. Now, why? Why would he do it that way? Because if the enemy can take someone who has influence, he can stir them up, who in turn will stir other people up and turn them away from the truth. Today, more than ever, we need to be aware of this because right now you're watching this service online, but you can tune into services all over the world today. You can hear some great teachers from all kinds of different churches, but, but you can also listen to some teachers who are actually distorting the gospel. And this is why we've got to know the scriptures. It's, it's why we have to know the Bible, study it. I'm not gonna make a, a list of preachers to stay away from, but if, if they only talk about how to be blessed and they only talk about how to live you know, your best life, you need to see some, some red flags there. But even more importantly, you can tell not simply by what they say, it's what they don't say if they don't actually teach the Bible, then that should be a red flag. If they don't talk about sin, repentance, the cross, the blood of Jesus, how to deal with suffering, hell, these are issues that oftentimes they avoid. If you never hear that, that needs to be a, a red flag that, that goes off in your mind. Because even though they may be popular, they may not be biblical. And so i I ask that you would pray for me. I'm by no means um, perfect and uh, I'm very fallible. I I pray that you would uh, uh, pray for me and the other leaders in the church that teach the Bible accurately, not just now, but for the rest of my career and life that God would keep me in line. And here's the reason why I'm so adamant about that. In verse seven, Paul makes it clear that there is no other gospel. There's no other gospel. The false teachers wanted to add to the gospel. They added the, the dietary laws that said, if, if you really wanna please God, then you need to eat this and stay away from this. They said, you've got to celebrate certain festivals. And, and uh, they also told the Gentiles who, when they were little boys, they, they wouldn't have been circumcised. And so now they're asking these grown men, to be circumcised, to follow the Jewish customs and laws. Now, I'll let all the parents at home today explain what that means, but we see that word over and over in the book of Galatians. But you can imagine if you were a grown man in the room, hearing that for the first time, you would be like, what did this guy just say? You want me to do what? If it were me, I'd be like, oh, Anybody wanna go start a church down the road? I'm going, anybody, you, you, let's go. I mean, listen, this this would have been like mind blowing and and caused so much controversy with all of these Gentiles faced with this decision now. You know, people who create additions to the gospel and distort it, they, they might appear like they have good intentions. It's not like they dress up with a red cape and a pitchfork, they're religious people. They seem to be good people. That's why other people essentially will follow them. And that's why we've gotta be prepared today. Because listen, we face so many additions to the gospel and subtractions to the gospel that we've gotta be aware and we've gotta be focused. I mean, let me give you some examples. We, we hear people say all the time, yes, please believe in Jesus. But just so you know, there are other ways to get to God. God's gonna accept other religious people. Don't don't be so arrogant uh, to shrink God in your little Christian box. God's God's too big to fit in that Christian box. He's gonna save the Hindu, he's gonna save the Muslim. But folks, according to the scripture, that's a false gospel. Paul says, let them be accursed. You've heard people say, sure, yes, believe in Jesus, but God really won't send anybody to hell. So it doesn't really matter how you live. A loving God wouldn't send people to hell, you know. Just try to do your best, folks. That's a false gospel. We've got to hear that. Be aware. Paul would say, "Let them be accursed." Or you hear people say, "Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but after you believe, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter how you spend your time or energy or or, or whatever. Just try to live your best life. You know, you'll be fine." Listen, that is a false gospel. We hear people say, yeah, believe in Jesus. And if you give money to the church, uh, you're gonna get that promotion. If you keep giving money to that ministry, you know, God's gonna make you a wealthy man. Again, false gospel. We see the Catholic church uh, teaching false doctrine and and a false gospel for generations. And they, they say, yeah, Jesus justifies you, but for them, justification comes by faith alone in Christ and good works. So Jesus plus your good works will get you saved. Folks, that's a false gospel. We see the Mormon cult, the Jehovah's Witness cult, they're teaching a false gospel. Yeah, they say, yeah, 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 Jesus, go for him, love Jesus, but we're gonna add the teachings of Joseph Smith. Jesus plus another translation of the Bible that just so you know, eliminates all the verses that talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, and, And by the way, Jesus was Satan's brother. Folks, this is a false gospel. Additions, subtractions. Paul says in verse eight, listen, even if an angel shows up and says that he's from God and teaches a different gospel, he says, don't believe it. He says, even if I show up and I start teaching a different gospel one day, don't believe it. Listen, it doesn't matter who the messenger is. The gospel isn't the gospel, because Paul preached it. The gospel is the gospel because it's God's gospel. And the great news is that God is not gonna change his mind on what that means. He's not gonna change his mind on, on what brings us salvation. You don't have to worry about the gospel changing because here it is. The gospel is the good news that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone anyone who says anything different Paul says not me Paul says deserves the curse of hell because there's no other gospel and because there's no other gospel therefore in verse 10 Jesus is the only person you need to please think about that for a minute let that sink in and just ask yourself a question who are you really trying to please with your life today uh, Paul's opponents were, were saying that he was a, a people pleaser and he, was, he would say all of these things just to become popular. So what he says in verse 10 is, if I were still trying to please man. Now, what's that word still there? That, that insinuates to us that there was a time when, when, when Paul actually spent his time pleasing people. Uh, before Christ, he was doing everything he could to keep up his reputation. I mean, he found his identity and what people thought about him. And, and he, was, he, he, he was proud of his family and his heritage and his education and all of his service to the law of God. This is, this is who he thought he was. That's where he found his identity. But when Jesus saved Paul, Paul left being a Pharisee. He stopped trying to please everyone else and he put his confidence in Christ and he began to find his identity in Christ. He stopped living for uh, uh, those who would would wanna make him popular and he started living for God's purpose. Let me ask you again, who are you trying to please today? Who are you really living for? Because if you are trying to please other people, You're living by a false gospel. You think, man, if I can make other people happy, then I'll feel good about myself. I'll feel important. I'll feel like my life has purpose. And and the good news for me, the gospel for me is make people happy and I'll be happy. Folks, that's a lie. That life will drive you crazy. It will complicate your faith. The fact is you cannot please everybody. Think about it. Even God can't do that. One person wants it to rain. One person wants the sun sun to shine. One person wants the Vols to win. One person wants the Gators to win. God can't please everybody. So he chooses to bless the most miserable people, all the Alabama fans, and he lets them win. And so listen, they they gotta have something down there, right? Just, Just kidding. The point is this, you can't please everyone. There might be a group at work who like you. And there's gonna be a couple at work who don't like what you're doing. I might get five emails about how great the church is, and, and then I might get one or two emails that are negative. You can't please everyone. And a lot of people, I'm afraid, you wouldn't say this out loud, but this is kind of how you live. You live with the mentality that I have to be liked by everyone in order to be happy. And folks, that's just not true. You don't have to be liked by everybody in order to be happy. If you live like that, you're depending on others for happiness instead of God. And that is a false gospel that Paul says deserves the curse of hell. So who are you really trying to please? I think Paul makes a really good point here. He says, he says listen, I would not be a servant of Christ if I were trying to please man. In other words, you can't have it both ways. He's not saying I wouldn't be a very good servant of Christ if I were trying to please man. No, he says I would not be a servant of Christ if, I trying, if I'm trying to please man. Now, why? Well, he lives by the words of Jesus and the words of Jesus were that, listen, you cannot serve two masters. He knows you can't have two masters. So if pleasing people is your idol, Your master is the opinion of your husband, maybe. Your master is the opinion of your friends, the people at work, your neighbors. You're at the mercy. You're you're serving them. You're worshiping them. And God says, that is a false gospel. You are living for the wrong thing. No wonder you're so empty today. Here's what the gospel really comes down to. The gospel doesn't tell us what we have to do to please people. The gospel tells us that God is already pleased with us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is good news. God is pleased with you. He is as pleased with you as he is his own son. And listen, when you start to believe that, it frees you from seeking the approval of others. And it frees you from seeking even God's approval because by faith in Christ, God gives us the righteousness of Jesus. Not because I earn it, that is simply his grace. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see my righteousness or my sins because Christ forgave me, he lives in me. He now sees the righteousness of Christ in me, which means I am approved. It means that you already have eternal love. It means that you are already unconditionally loved. What else do you need? Of course, you need nothing more than God's love. So the question is, are you ready to give up the gospel of pleasing people? Are you ready to give up the gospel that promises if you work hard enough, people will finally love you? God will finally love you. Are you ready to receive the gospel that says the work has already been done for you. Receive it by faith and now freely walk with the Lord who says, I am well pleased in you, not because of your work, but because of my son and his work that has already been done and lives in you. I believe that there are some people here today watching that you, you, you've come to a point to where you know you're not a follower of Christ. You, you, you know that there's something missing within you. And I wanna encourage you today to take that step and, and, and make that commitment to put Jesus in your life and, and to give him your life today, to, to stop trying to please everybody else and start trying to please the creator who made you and loves you unconditionally. No matter where you're tuning in today, if you need to give your life to Jesus, I wanna walk you through a prayer. That's not a magical prayer, but it's a, it's, it's a way that kind of helps you make this commitment. So in the quietness of wherever you're at, I just wanna ask everyone to bow their heads. And, and as you bow your heads, you, you pray for those in the room. And if you're someone who says, I, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus, you just simply say this to God. Just say, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins because I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for the resurrection. Because Jesus is alive, I can be alive today and I wanna live my life for Him. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you, if you are committing your life to Christ right here, right now, I believe that God is saving you. The next step for you is gonna be baptism. And uh, I just wanna rejoice with you. I wanna, I wanna resource you and help you and pray for you any way that I can. And so I would love for you to text the number that is coming up on your screen or even go to the website that's, that's listed below. Let us know who you are. Let us know the decision that you just made. We want to celebrate with you. No matter who you are, some of you today need to continue to wrestle with this gospel of pleasing people. It's complicating your faith. It's ruining your faith. And maybe today your prayer of commitment would simply be, God, I release this. I, I, I pray against this. And I seek today to only please you. Folks, I'm praying for you. I can't wait for next week as we look at uh, Galatians chapter two. Have a safe and fantastic week. We'll see you